Welcome to On Marketing, a show where we explore marketing's first principles, mental models, and my favorite, contrarian takes. My aim is not to tell you what to think, it's assisting you in improving how you think about marketing and life. It's September 29th, 2023. I'm Jordan Ogren, a marketing strategist by day and a podcast host by night. Joining me today is Trish Sedell, a self-proclaimed marketing big sister that you never knew you needed formerly a growth manager for Springly and currently the head of content at DJust. In our conversation, we discuss how marketing is responsible for brand awareness and conversion, but not for closing deals, that's sales job. How marketing and sales should collaborate to ensure a seamless customer journey, the future of search engine optimization, SEO, why personal branding is essential for modern marketers, and why kindness and love should be valued and practiced in marketing and life. Ready to get into the episode? Before you do, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. That is where I share extra insights from these episodes, and you can get the episode delivered to your inbox every Friday. To join the line, the first line in the show notes has a link. Please do that. I am grateful for you joining on that as I share far more insights, and that's really the place where all the content goes. Also, a reminder that if you're watching this on YouTube, you can go listen to it as a podcast, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can go on YouTube to see my beautiful mug. And finally, this is for the legal department. Opinions shared in this podcast are individual views of the host and guests not representing their employers or associate organizations. The content is intended for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional marketing guidance. Listeners act on the information provided at your own risk. I'll see you on the other side. What is marketing? What job should marketing get done in a company? Oh my gosh. What what should marketing not do, I guess? <laughs> I guess marketing shouldn't sell um, to an extent. Marketing shouldn't close. How about that? That is the best thing I can think of marketing shouldn't do versus what it should do. Because marketing does so many different things, right? It can be in charge of brand awareness. So we're talking about um, awareness at one point. It can... Um, be really good about the conversion and getting someone interested in past that awareness stage, but it's not responsible for closing a deal. And this is where I think that um, marketing and sales tend to be frenemies in a way, which I hate because I, I love working with our sales and I think that sales and marketing should be best friends and should collaborate as much together as possible. Um, but I guess the better question here is what, what should marketing not do? And I think marketing shouldn't close ever. Hmm. Um, not, I don't think it's something that marketing does well. Um, I think getting to the point where you have the awareness, the intention to buy, the, the user has all of the information that they need in order to make a decision. But at one point, I think you, you're going to need really targeted, very clear positioning and information. And that is something that um, I think sales does really well. Hmm. So do you think then, so you wouldn't think that good marketing would make someone close on their own, essentially realizing that the progress that I want to make in my life would be done through this product or service because the marketing was so specific to me and it did a good job that I don't need to be closed. Do you do not think that marketing, because kind of thinking if a company only has a marketer in using right. your not definition, which I think is very helpful to kind of say like what, what it's not, but then like, can you not sell because you only have like a founder and a marketer? And in the... Go, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say most founders are sellers. So thinking in like a, a kind of like a someone who created the product founder. So they're not really sales and they have a marketer person. Can they still not convert, quote unquote, 
So this may be controversial, but I think that it's very rare that the, one of the first hires is a marketer. You know, marketing tends to be a lower priority, which again, I think is is is, is a mistake when it comes to, to startups and scale-ups and things like that. I think marketing comes in often far too late. Um, but I think it's rare when the first hire is the founder and then the marketer. You know what I mean? If you're talking about SaaS, you're talking about someone who the founder, the tech, the product person, right? And then the sales is like the third or fourth priority. And then once the sales start to come in, they have a proof of concept. That's when marketing comes in generally, um, at least from what I've seen in, in, in the tech world and the SaaS world and things like that. But it also depends on the, on the kind of market that you're going for. You know, if you're targeting SMBs and you're going for a really low touch strategy, um, I think marketing can close. I think if you're working on like a free trial, um, then upsell situation, I think marketing does a good enough job of getting that free trial. What I think the problem is there is when you get through the free trial and the person has to come and activate and buy a subscription, I think that's when when sales needs to come in or operations at that point, whatever you people call that. Uh, some teams call it operations, some teams call it enablement, some teams call it sales, um, is that the activation the, in, the, in the proper utilization of whatever product or service that you're offering is. So um, it can close in a way, but we are, I work often in enterprise sales now, and I've seen that in, in enterprise sales, marketing um, is not closing properly. You know what I mean? They don't, they're not given all the information because often when you're working again in enterprise sales, you're working in very specific people, very specific use cases, and, and, and there needs to be a little bit of a human touch in there as well. Um, for sure. But I think in small businesses, activation of the product is an issue, which means that you're, getting people to use the product properly, use it to its full potential, um, empowering your user, again, to use the product properly and to feel um, enabled and to become a hero, which again, comes circles back to marketing later in the much later stages. Um, but I feel like you're, you're always gonna need that human touch of, of some sort of sales or operational person of being like, okay, you can do this, you know? Hmm. That's fair. My mind instantly with sales is convert, like you're trying to sell somebody something that they're unsure they need, which then would mean that there's a lack of marketing to get there there. And I understand with an enterprise, it's not new shoes. It's it's a $50,000 or $500,000. Like I'm going to need to talk to someone and likely have things built out for it. Like, so that's very different. But I think of like Basecamp as an example. They've built a product and, and I haven't like done any research on them, but I'm thinking they have a very low sales team or if any, because so, the product is just so good. I mean, their story is because the product started helping them do build websites that then they're like, damn, this is a good enough product. So like in marketing to the point of like getting people to use it more like marketing, I would put that kind of education into marketing on the back end, whether it's a, yeah, like a videos or even having someone operations to your point kind of like go through the product with you but i still feel like if i'm unsure like how to use a product then th there was likely a hard sell because i don't think marketing can force someone to like a free trial to that point yes they can like do the marketing but it's going to be maybe performance so that's maybe the brand maybe even i'm uh getting too deep in that but i guess do you think that you're thinking around the sales is that just very tightly you did bring an enterprise but like SaaS, where there's a million products for the same thing so there's such hard to like use marketing as a differentiator because it's like what you're a similar product to the next product that just came out to the next product that got funding last month like you have to well, sell but... people on it or well i think that's where i think that's again, that's where marketing performs really well is that 
there's always going to be competition for your product, especially when it comes to SaaS. We're talking SMBs. We're talking low basket sizes. You know what I mean? Um, or low basket amounts. Um, I think that's where marketing really performs well is being able to, d- to differentiate between you and, and the customer. And I think it also depends on the market again, that you're, that you're searching in, you know, in the United States, um, people are very technology driven. They're very comfortable with technology. And so they're often, starting free trials of the same of different softwares or five or six different softwares, right? And they're kind of testing, figuring out what they like. And then again, that's where marketing and sales can really have a good marriage here is that, you know, marketing is there to give the user a feeling, give them um, an, a brand experience that is that is excellent, that is high quality. And sales is there to answer their questions and to reassure them on the technical specs of the, of the actual product that they're using, right? But in, we've seen other markets like Europe, um, particularly in France where I live, is that people are less um, comfortable with technology. And so the barrier to entry is for technology for SaaS is, is quite a bit higher. And so the conversations are very different. The marketing is very different. We're talking more about technology enablement versus um, empowerment in a weird way. Um, and so we're kind of getting here in Europe, getting people past that initial barrier of technology of being like, okay, this is a product that's going to help you. And, and again, in the United States and, and other develop, very, very developed markets, think like Asian markets, um, we are, the conversation is very different. It is, um, it's not, you need this product to help you. It's, we're going to help you better than someone else. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah, it's very context driven. And maybe that's like the, the, the circles that I'm going in is because there's, because even as you're talking about like customer success, that is like now synonymous with sales in the sense of like helping someone use a product more. I would see that as customer success, but again, it could be a sales. So I think there, there's like this, I have two thoughts in my head, kind of contradictory in thoughts. It's also one is like this definition is going in circles. So it doesn't matter what it is, but there's also this being intentional about defining what it is for each context, because each context has a different makes the definition incredibly important. It's this dichotomy that it's useless, but very useful. Absolutely. And I think in marketing, we have so many titles for so many different things. Um, and I think, <laughs> which makes it extraordinarily complicated. You know what I mean? Growth can mean thing something in one company it can mean, you know, a startup versus a scale up versus a full blown, like, company enterprise like can mean all these different things um but i think what's kind of interesting is the the creation of product marketing in the last few years and i think it's such an important role in any marketing especially for a SaaS company um the product marketer is the the link between marketing product sales and success they are the catch-all between all these different things and are able to speak the languages of all these different teams and communicate all of that into a very simple way to the user, the end user. And that is a talent that I do not have. And I admire all product marketers um, who do that because, wow, very impressive. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Even just a thought. And I'm going to ask you a different question after this because we could probably spend, I could spend all day. Um, but just does does naming something, because as you're talking, it seems like, well, that product marker could have just been a really good marketing generalist or strategist in a sense that they are, are kind of quarterbacking the entire thing. And now we just have a definition because 
SaaS products products have become so prevalent to my point earlier that there's millions of them that this new position isn't really new. It's just a, a title for something that was titleless. It was just a marketer who could kind of work through the entire funnel or work through all of it in a normal uh, service-based company or just a normal products like a grocery store. They didn't have this product marker because the grocery store isn't a product. They have products, but it isn't. But it was like this thinking and that's the, the goal of this podcast really is to kind of get underlying of like, well, what are some of those things of seeing the entire customer journey or seeing some of these things? Because to your point, not everybody's gifted to hold those things in their head at one time. I'm just really good at metrics. I'm just really good at content creation. But yeah, I think there's, yeah. yeah, but there's value, I think, in realizing that the generalist, that product marketer persona archetype is is effective and you don't need to be in a SaaS company to think through the same lens or to have the positioning be owned by you or just whatever was a, was a thought. I'll, I will let you jump in if you had any, uh, kind no, of, no, I think, that. I think you're, you're right in, in some ways. And, and I, and I don't necessarily agree in others. I don't think that this was in anyone, any particular person's camp before, you know what I mean? Cause this customer success team could make a point that it's the sales team's job because it's um, almost upselling in a way. It's enablement. It's you know using the platform properly. Um, the sales team could also then pass the ball back to success in that way. And then you have operations that comes in here and there. And I don't think I think it was kind of the job of three different teams. Um, and getting you know getting three different teams to work together harmoniously is probably the biggest challenge of any company anywhere in the world, regardless of the size. Um, and so I think the creation of and in the development of what a product marketer is, um, has solved a lot of those really complex organizational issues. Um, and because it requires very marketing based skills, but also very product oriented skills. Um, you have to be able to take all of the issues that people are having and are able to think of innovative ways to explain very complex topics. Um, and again, I don't think that's a skill that any, anyone has, um, or any, like not everyone has, sorry, that I meant to say and everybody has. No, that's fair. And maybe I, I just am wondering if this, like, does the tool create the person or does the person create the tool did like, mm -hmm. which is kind of the egg or the thing, like is a product marketer just a, and again, we could have such a di dissonance of conversation here because this, you're like, I've never worked in a company that has more than 50 people, more than 25 people. So my mind doesn't go to these like 15 different departments all working together, which is clearly some people's reality. But my mind goes to that person who understands the product in a very small 10, 15, 30 person company who kind of understands the product, but also the marketing of it. And to your point, making complex things simple, like that was just one role and it was just a good marketer. But now it's like this title because a lot of product marketers as I follow, in my opinion, they're just really great marketers, how they view product and their ability to tie it to like, but so then my thought marketers. is, is like, they are still marketers. They are still marketers. They are great marketers. <laughs> Which then though makes me wonder, do we, is that like, is there a negative connotations on having it product marketing? Because my company doesn't have a product. I can't be, I can't think like a product marketer versus having this thought of like, what can we pull from them that they do? That's just fundamental marketing. And mm -hmm. what have we now created this job title so we can find people because there's so many SaaS companies like I'm talking about popping up everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, but clearly I'm guessing not everybody is, is as interested as I am on that. So the next question <laughs> to keep us moving is in your time in marketing, and we maybe touched on some of these things, what has changed in the last like one to two years? So maybe you believed this two years ago, but through your experiences or through a book or through somebody, you now believe something radically different about marketing. Does anything come to mind for you? 
Oh my gosh. I think, um, I think what I used to believe good content marketing was, was, um, cause obviously I, I, I have a background in growth. Um, and I recently in the past three years have really made a major switch to content and it kind of happened organically happened naturally. And I think that I thought good content was strictly SEO. Like SEO was always the first priority. It should be the first priority for every single SaaS company. Um, it's the only way to grow. It's the only channel. Um, it's, it, should be the, it should be the number one priority. And I think that my vision on that has completely changed in the last few years. I do think SEO is an extremely important channel of acquisition, but it's not for everybody. Um, and it's not for every sector. It's not for every company. Um, and I think that especially with... Um, with the creation of AI, um, it's made SEO much more democratic in that way, which means that there's more competition. And so I think it means that we have to be more innovative in what we do in terms of content marketing. Um, and I love that in the last few years that we've a lot, a lot of the trends have moved away from very concentrated SEO blogs, SEO websites, really niche content to much more omni-channel marketing, a much more holistic marketing strategy that's not just SEO or purely SEO focused, but that is focused on thought leadership, that is focused on webinars, that is focused on providing high quality content on every single channel, that is focused on recycling all of this fantastic content. Um, and so that is something that I've loved to see, you know, in the last few years that, you know, people are thinking omni-channel, they're thinking multiple channels are not nichely focused on only one. Hmm. So is SEO then expanding, like how does SEO and content, how you just framed it, how do they play together with this new understanding that you have or how today, how do they play well together content and SEO? Oh, I mean, they play so well together. Obviously I'm a content marketer, but I'm a back, I mean, I still have a background in everything. That is so completely false. But I, I did growth for a long time. Then I became very specialized in niche and SEO, um, which then led me into a much more lar a wide scale content marketing strategy position, whatever. Um, and so I love SEO. It is like it is the thing I love most. I'm very passionate about it. Um, but it is not like like I said before. It's not what what all good content is. And um, they play well together because I think that if you are basing your content strategy on SEO, it's the perfect way to have that really good, strong, evergreen content, but then to recycle it and, and have it trickle down to a much more digestible, um, user-focused type of content. So obviously all SEO content, we want to think user first always, but um, we're not, maybe not necessarily... Um, giving ourselves the permission to think outside of our SEO scope. So if an article doesn't, if we're not using those planned keywords that have a certain X or Y volume, that have a low keyword difficulty that aren't strategic, we don't allow ourselves the permission or we don't give ourselves the permission to create an article that has no SEO value. You know what I mean? Um, because it costs time, money, energy, resources. And if we're, if we're going to spend $200 on an article, we want it to bring us traffic, right? Um, and I think that that holistic marketing strategy has allowed us to relax and really dig into that idea of user first, but not just in terms of SEO and UX and UI and things like that and internal links. We're thinking about it in a much more, in a much larger scale of being like, okay, 
we know that our user is interested in this topic. Our target, our target audience, are the heart of our of our of our core audience is having this question. And even if there's no search volume on SEMrush, it's worth it to make the article anyway, or to take it from an existing SEO article and then recycle that onto all these different platforms, right? So I think it's allowed us to relax a little bit and create content that is not just to bring us traffic or to convert or whatever. It's there to build our brand as well. Hmm. So it's going from this mindlessly doing it before where it just was good to do SEO. You didn't think much. You just spammed the keywords. You essentially tried to hack the algorithm. Now it's a lot different. Google is hopefully a little bit smarter. So you have to have this larger approach to it than just saying, we're going to create these four blogs a month and they're very well highly SEO'd quote unquote versus to your point, a webinar, which in my opinion, isn't nobody's looking for a webinar for an answer for 45 minutes. Like it's something I come across and I engage with it. I get answers, but I'm not searching and there's no optimization for that. Is that like kind of how you're just thinking, like it's still included, it's a tool, but it's not the whole thing or was it never the the whole whole thing for you? Yeah, it's not the whole picture. And so I would would disagree that lots of SEOs are, are mindlessly creating content, feeding the algorithm, whatever. I think great SEO content is about good UX, good UI, unique content that is that is innovative and, and smart and it is um, uh, well positioned and it is catchy. Um, so SEO content is good content. I think it's more about not having the tunnel vision of creating content based on keywords that have very interesting keyword volume. You know what I mean? It's we're allowing ourselves to be strategic in a different way. So before we were thinking unique channel, um, creating content that is still great content, but to convert directly, right? We want them to take an action. We want them to click on another article. We want them to download the articles that we can get their email. We want to do X, Y, and Z. We have goals, right? Um, And now we're switching, seeing a much, a big shift in content of not just doing it that way, but being strategic about, okay, how can we create content that is not just to generate organic traffic, but is going to speak to our audience in a completely different way? Um, And giving ourselves the permission to do that, because again, lots of marketers are working on a tight budget. We have very limited resources and very limited time. And I think we've been thrown under a lot of pressure to produce, 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 and then produce results. And now we know that the power of the brand um, takes longer, yes, but it has much more reliable results. The power of visibility, the power of leadership, of thought leadership um, has has kind of changed the game, I think. Yeah, I think we disagreed on different things. When I say mindlessly following, it's what you just said. It's doing things to get organic traffic. It's doing things yeah. that get the highest rank on the search, but not actually realizing that that doesn't matter if my audience isn't searching for questions on Google. And even now, they may not even search on Google. They may go to TikTok. TikTok has now become this Mm -hmm. search engine. So like that is what I was saying is it's a shift from mindlessly saying it's a dress code. You're giving people permission to dress differently where before marketing thought we had to dress this way. SEO needs to be crammed with keywords, no personality. It's good content because Google ranks it high, but now it's thinking differently of how do we make content that answers they're searching and where are they even searching, which again, just goes from mindlessly to very mindfully thinking about where do we put content? How does chat GPT, how does AI even disrupt this? Cause I've 
not gone to Google for like probably a year now because it's just easier to go to Claude, go to ChatGPT and say, hey, can you give me sources here because I don't want to waste my time getting some SEO optimized blog that's just going to say things that I don't like. I want different kind of and that is a new search engine. So what do you see the future of search engine optimization in the pure terms of optimization of search? Where do you see search in 10 years, five years and how will content change because of that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I think it's all this, the introduction of AI is, has shaken up the SEO world and the content world. And I think it's, it was needed. Um, You'll hear lots of content marketers and lots of SEOers be like, oh, it's the destruction of Google, whatever. I'm like, good, let it, let it, let it shake us up. Let it make us think differently and do things differently. Um, I am very pleased with how things are going. And I think the the future of search is going to be completely different in 10 years than it is now. Um, And I think it's going to involve a lot of this kind of innovative content creation. It's going to be focused on video. It's going to be focused on audio. It's going to be focused on um, diversity and inclusion, making sure I'm sure that search in the next few years is going to include criteria for making sure your content is diversity inclusive making sure that um, you're, you have an audio version of the article that you're producing as well to make sure that anyone who's hard of hearing is going to be able to, or um, visually impaired, excuse me, um, be able to also read your content. I think that we're going to see a lot more um, of personality requirement, like you said before, um, involved in, in search. And that's why TikTok does so well. And that's why people search on TikTok. Even I search on TikTok. I'm an SEO person. I'm just like, whenever <laughs> I want to buy something new, I go directly to TikTok because I want to see people's faces. I want to see their reactions. I, I think that's, that is absolutely where, where search is going and blogs and websites are going to have to keep up. And that's, and I think that's where the power of video of audio podcasts and any other type of content, this kind of mixed and match content we can to, to create is going to set up, set us apart. I love that. Yeah, I think it, I like the answer because there's no real answer. It's really hard to say video, voice content. I've heard so much in like the past that voice with Alexa and with some of these, you want to be that top choice when I say, hey, Alexa, throw a toothpaste in my cart. Who does it choose? So like Gary Vaynerchuk was big on that when I used to drink his Kool-Aid and it made sense, but it was also like, well, I'm not just going to take whoever Alexa, unless I'm in bed with it. Like I'm not taking what she says. Like I'll go and change it to Crest if I want Crest toothpaste and they gave me Orbit or whatever. So power of the brand. (laughs) So so that though. That goes to your point of the the power of brand, which is usually built in a non-scalable or SEO way. Like, yes, it's good to use SEO to build your brand, but they can be separate. And and honestly, you're going to do things that don't work well to build brand or not scalable at times. SEO can only take you so far. It's a great building block. At least I think so. Um, I think, you know, what we're doing at Just, which is, you know, where, I, where I'm currently at, is that we're kind of starting from the beginning. And that's really exciting. And we need a baseline of visibility that we can build on top of, right? We're building the foundations. And I think that's where SEO is doing its best work right now. Um, and then it comes to us to, to a certain point where we reach a great level of visibility. It's okay. Now that we've done that, we are at a really good spot in in all of the search that our users are searching for. We're feeling good. We know we know pretty much where we stand. People are starting to understand who we are, what we do. Then there's a certain point that we have that we that we need the brand to take over and to be like, okay, 
they're visible, but who are they? Hmm. Who are they? Why are they here? You know, and I think that's where the brand comes in. Yeah, and I think um, that's clearly where the advertising and brand is is you, good together. You see an ad, and then you go to their website, or their, and it's just the there's nothing there. Then it's going to be tough to buy. So I do see that huge okay. interlock between them, where good content or good brand like just works on its own, but a good ad without good brand can sometimes not achieve it the outcome. It falls flat. It falls flat. People are smarter than that now. <laughs> They are. They, yeah. they are. No, they, People are so smart. Buyers are extremely intelligent. And we're not giving them the, the credit that they deserve. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, we come from a marketing background. So we are probably the smartest buyers that are out there. And yet, do I still add to cart from an Instagram ad? Absolutely, I do. But uh, it's only from brands that I that I have developed a personal relationship with in that sense. And personal for me, personal, not for them personal. They don't know who I am, but <laughs> they have enough data on me to, to target me correctly. You know what I mean? So yeah. it is, It is. yeah, It's people are very, very smart. Let's give them the credit they deserve. I love that. I think at times marketers can treat uh, people and there's been recent um, public large things that have happened with this where you just disrespect your audience by doing something that doesn't fit with mm -hmm. them or uh, having audio clips come up where you're essentially shit talking that your audience is stupid. They just drink beer. Yeah. They don't know anything. Um, so I do think there is this this weird thing where marketers almost feel godlike because we understand there's persuasion. There's all these things that we forget too. we're marketed to. And like if someone did that to me, I'd slap them across it. I wouldn't ever buy from them again, but we have this disconnect. It reason. takes one, it's one thing that will leave a bad taste in their mouth. It is one, one thing. And I think, I think you're exactly right is that people are, they underestimate the power, the intelligence of their buyers. And man, that is, that is the quickest way for an easy downfall. And so then great piece of advice is respect or uphold your audience's intelligence level, respect them as the intricate, curious and intelligent humans that they most likely are. I love that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great point. Now jumping into a new segment on this podcast, the marketing hot seat, I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you. You can say more than one word, but the goal is to go through them quick. So if you have some extra stuff, definitely add it. Um, but right. we'll get to some open-ended questions at the very end, and then we'll get into um, some life questions. So are you ready for this marketing hot seat? I'm so ready. <laughs> Good, because I'm not. All right, long form, <laughs> long form articles or quick social p uh, posts for engagement and just marketing success? Quick social posts. Organic SEO or paid SEO if you're on a tight budget? Organic. Hmm. Which is more effective, building personal brands or maximizing the company brand? Personal brand, 100%, 1,000%, not million percent. <laughs> In-house content creation or outsourcing for a company that's in its early stages? Depends on the budget, but I'm going to go external. Men in with internal buy-in, lots of good internal good juice. <laughs> that's a needed um, exclaimer. All right, mentorship yes. or self-learning for growing in your career? Mentorship. Is Marketing here, mentorship. Yep, yep, that was a layup that I gave for you. Is SEO <laughs> is SEO still a must learn or a must know skill for uh, marketers? Yes. Can pirate hacking, I know we didn't talk about it, you posted a lot of this, but can pirate hacking be a game changer for content strategy? Yes. And check out uh, Trish's LinkedIn and I'll have some uh, links in the bottom for more on that. Hey, thanks for the shout out. I, I found it fascinating when I was engaging with that. 
Um, does every marketer need a personal brand? Does every person yes. getting, yes, perfect. Is content marketing recession proof? Should you keep doing it no matter what, where the economy's at? Yes. All right, now a little bit more open-ended. So if you wanna add extra to these, please do. What's one SEO tool every marketer should learn, master, leverage? Is there any tool that you've, you will fall on a sword for? SEMrush or Ashrest. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Maybe either one. Awesome. I know there's two camps. I know there are two camps that like people either do one or the other, but you need, everyone needs a tool like, like them. They're both extremely high performing. Pick which one you feel connected with. I'm a SEMrush girl. Um, <laughs> But um, best tool you could ever use for a holistic view of your SEO, best. Agree. What's one book that a young marketer or someone starting their career could read that would definitely help them speed up where they're at as a marketer? Um, Growth Marketing by Jan, Jan Leonardi. Um, fantastic, fantastic book that talks not, not about marketing as a whole um, as a, an accelerator for business. So fantastic book for business-minded marketers. Mm. What is a common mistake in SEO that marketers make and should avoid if you're kind of new to it? Is there like some common or a common mistake or pitfall? Oh, building on weak foundations. SEO is only high performing when it's done right. Um, and you can't build a house on a weak foundation, meaning that you're not getting, you're not starting off from a, with a clean canvas basically. So get, get your, self-audited fix hmm. it before you start seo and start start taking it seriously i swear it will go a million times faster and get off your freaking subdomain <laughs> oh wow that, those are two good ones definitely i agree my life philosophy is diagnosis before action i think it's very important to audit get that foundation set or at least figure out where it's at that's really Absolutely. helpful. It's going to be so much pain. It's going to be so painful later if you don't. Trust me. You don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Well, final question. What is your go-to or one of your go-to resources for staying up on marketing or just to be a better marketer? So maybe it's not even something marketing related. LinkedIn. There are some brilliant people on this platform. And I'm not saying that because I'm on this platform. <laughs> But no, there are truly some brilliant people, yourself included, Jordan, that are producing excellent content for free um, because lots of us just want to help other people. Um, mm. It is the best place to get excellent, no, I don't know if I can curse on here, but Please. no, no bullshit advice um, for marketing and you will make some fabulous connections. People that are just willing to like help you. You know what I mean? Like. People that you make connections with on LinkedIn, you can have calls with them and be like, I'm freaking stuck on this thing. And they'll, they'll help you out of the goodness of their hearts. And I think that, that is wonderful. Yeah, I concur with that. LinkedIn, for the last three or so years I've been on it, I've created amazing relationships and learned so much from people for so free. So much. People are brilliant. It is <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing. I think, too, it, for me, it's almost like a sprouting off point, too. Like, sure, the content is great, but then I learn of someone, oh, they have a podcast. Oh, they wrote a book. Oh, I can talk to them mm -hmm. on this podcast like you. So there's so many jumping off points that LinkedIn and, and platforms know. provide like and that. And it's all super niche, right? So you can find whatever you want. You can find things about growth. You can find things about product marketing, about content marketing, about social media, about community management, about newsletters, about email open rates, like anything you need, you will be able to find. And what I think is great about LinkedIn, I'm sorry, I'm going like on a tangent, but 
with like the books that we that you know I've I've we've suggest, we've talked about books and things like that they're targeted for a very wide audience, right? And these people on LinkedIn, because we're talking to other marketers, it's very niche content. So there's like very little of, of ex basic explaining that needs to be done. They really get right to the crux of it. And I think that that is, is amazing because, you know, no one needs to, to fuck around with like 30 pages on what is SEO when you're <laughs> looking to one of your questions, you know? Right, right. Or like how, why you should care about them rather than clicking on their LinkedIn profile or you've engaged with them enough that you just trust them anyway. Yeah, no, I, that's a great point. I've never thought of books have a much more time to value than LinkedIn yeah. does. I do though want to just throw out just in case one of the two people listening goes on LinkedIn and gets, you know, pitch slapped or there is some negative things that go on with LinkedIn. A lot of like bro um, kind of like slapping each other of like, look at how many people I've gained or whatever, which is like, it's all cool. But unless you're selling marketing, like they're, they're sometimes you, you have to, you have to avoid some things on LinkedIn as I've been on there for a bit of time. I've realized um, certain areas, but again, it's your choice. It's who you follow, who you engage with, and you can create these sub communities as you're saying that are super yeah. specific to what you care about or what you want to get better at absolutely couldn't agree more awesome all right now my favorite part of this podcast because marketing a lot of i believe the beliefs and concepts around marketing come from a lot of things we learn outside of marketing in the world of life so these last 10 or so minutes i want to just go deep on life and kind of some of your thoughts around maybe values we need more of and all of that mm -hmm. so does that sound good sure Awesome. Yeah. You weren't excited as excited for this as a, that the hot seat, the hot seat's more fun. This is going to get a little deep. So no, 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 I'm no, just kidding. Super important. So, um, there's this movie, I'm not sure if it uh, crosses the pond, but the movie inception, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, yes. Okay. So if you're familiar with it, just going to give a quick summary. Essentially these people go into people's dreams. They incept and plant ideas that then the next day that person wakes up and they believe that idea to be their own. So I'm going to sell my business. That's my idea. I'm going to act out of that idea. So if you could incept one idea in the minds of every human, every marketer, so tomorrow they wake up and they believe I should be kind for no reason. I should just love everybody. Like what is your idea you go in their dream and incept? You can do anything and you can learn anything. Um, any hard skill, like the thing I think we put so much value on education and following a certain path. And while I have a degree in higher education, I learned nothing in my MBA and I hide, I never hide that. Um, I loved it. I'm glad I did it, but I learned nothing of value. You know, everything I learned that got me to where I am today, I learned from mentors, from people hmm. and by myself, you can learn how to do any single skill. What will, what will set you apart from different people is your ability to have emotional intelligence, to connect, to communicate, to manage project, to have empathy, to have compassion, but any hard skill you can learn hmm. anything you I are capable. That. Yeah, you are entirely capable to learn anything that you, anything that you want. Yeah, I like that because just from what you're saying, it makes sense that soft skills in maybe the whole dichotomy is useless regardless, but just using this dichotomy, soft skills are the enablers for you to get better at hard skills that you don't have skills yes. in yet. So why not master and get really good at these soft skills, which then yes. allow like curiosity is a great skill to have because no matter what, if you're curious, you can fail, you can win, you'll get better every day. So I do totally agree with that. And I like how you phrased 
a very positive yeah. um, idea in everybody's it's my, it's my, the American nature in me. Well, I'm, I'm living in France, it comes out more and more. So, you know? <laughs> I love that. What value, what belief, what virtue do you believe doesn't get enough attention in our current time? So for me, maybe that's courage. I don't think we have enough courage, commitment, discipline. Does any belief, virtue, value pop into your mind that we should put a little more focus on as humans? I think um, compassion. I mean, I think everyone is is fighting a war, you mm. know, in their personal lives, in their professional lives. We don't know what's happening in other people's lives. And I would love to see more compassion for anyone and anything. Um, just a baseline of trust and compassion that we have with people until proven otherwise, I guess. You know what I mean? I feel like it's very easy to be um suspicious i guess is not the right word it's not it's the word i'm looking for in 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 french but like it's very easy to come at people with already a negative mindset in mind um and i think it's much harder to come at a situation or a group of people or any person just with an with this overwhelming idea of compassion love mm. caring sympathy empathy um and being able to see them as a person and not just a means to an end i guess love that what enables you that then i or anyone listening could could apply to be more like is there anything a mindset a physical habit a, a trick you do that allows you to show up in that way that you aren't kind of suspicious or however because i'm in my mind i'm feeling that i've done that before to people rather than just being open and just loving mm -hmm. and, and kind of that like does anything come to mind of how you get there maybe it's your wiring but listen more than you speak I think is definitely is definitely how how you can approach these things is that people say a lot when they're not saying anything at all. Um, is that if you when you leave that space for them to fill it up, you learn so much about people. Um, you learn the people talk about their kids and their husbands and wives and partners and mom, mothers and fathers and siblings and the things that make them human that make them who they are. Um, our jobs are not who we are. You know what I mean. Um, it is, it is how we maybe express ourselves creatively. It is it maybe how we make our living. It is maybe how we um, enjoy spending our time, but it is not who we are. And, and giving people the space to fill it up with details about what actually makes them who they are, about their passions and things like that is, is a great way to show up in compassion, at least for me. Hmm, I love that. Listening is something that naturally I've struggled with, so I've had more emphasis on it. And um, I, I've so I'm a I'm a I say I'm a thinker just because I'm so like messed up in the head. But um, because of so like I have all these thoughts where it's like okay, like listening can't be totally it because there's a lot of people who listen but they don't listen. So like, what is it about listening? It's almost like as you're talking in my mind, the word observe comes into my mind. Be, or you're giving, you're, you're intentively observing someone through listening. You're giving them attention through listening. That's one way to do it. But to your point, I think there's so much value in being observant of a room to see like, how do people move? What do they talk about? When do they stop talking? Do they talk? Like that's being like listening. Yes, but it's just being observant, which then means I can't be focused on myself because if I'm focused mm -hmm. on myself, I'm not observant of others. So then how do I not focus on myself? And that's yeah. like, you know, Buddha book or a Bible or something to like focus like on others because that's a really challenging task. 
I think it's also listening um, to not listening to um, react. It's listening with intention. And you know what I mean? Lots of people listen so that they can respond. That's fair. They're not listening just to understand. And I think, again, knowing that you don't have to say anything back or you don't have to add in your own experience. And obviously, you're having a conversation. So, you you know, there is an exchange of words, an exchange of conversations, again. But, like, yeah, paying attention to the things that make them light up and encouraging yourself to ask them more about it, building those relationships. Um, it's, it's really important. I think in, in your personal and professional life, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's beautiful to build those connections. I've said this many times. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I think the basic human right is to be seen. And I think be seen, we think of eyes, but very rarely does being seen come through someone seeing you. It through someone totally engrossing the entire person you are through listening, through observing, by getting them a gift that only someone who would be so attentive on these small things would have picked up. And it's like, wow, I've gone years, I've gone months, I've gone weeks without feeling seen. And that made me feel seen. I think that's like the purest human thing. Like that's my, every day I wake up and I'm like, how can I help someone else around me be seen through listening, through comments, through encouragement, through whatever uh, that may be. So I really love that compassion to lead to these uh, great things for others, but also like yourself feel, I feel great when I'm compassionate. I feel great when I focus on someone else. It's like a paradox of like, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. I think so. And I think having in the professional space, if there's like one thing I could add to this entire conversation is that, um, check on your female, on your female colleagues and your female friends, and especially in the tech world, especially in the SaaS world, um, it's tough. It's tough out there. And I, and I think that as women, we need to be allies. And obviously we want to enable our male colleagues and male friends to be allies. Um, <laughs> but I would love to see this camaraderie of women, um, especially in the professional world, stand up and come together and, and, and bring in all those wonderful, uh, you know, those big female friendships in, into the, into the, into our professional lives. I would just check, check on your girlfriends. You know what I mean? I love that. As someone who works at, uh, for a company with um, over 80% women, I, I'm totally behind that. And I think if anyone needs to feel seen, it's those who have felt unseen for the longest. And personally, men have definitely been in positions of being seen. Like, and just So I think it, to your point, it's very helpful. Women, people probably have different diversities. I'm a white heterosexual male, so I'm the worst of the worst. But there's all these other people who have, through their history, Native American or whichever, have just been unseen by society. So I think your mm-hmm. point is valid. And I think a lot of men get weird when we start talking about it but there is power in realizing that hey there's a group a subset of people who feel less seen than i do just because of things at birth i didn't even pick to feel as entitled as i do as a privilege as i do it's like this is just the cards i got but how do i help be an ally be an advocate be someone who doesn't get weird when you're in a room and someone says like stand up for women um so i'm very comfortable with that conversation i think more men need to lean in versus lean out when it gets a little weird of like what about us men uh you've had enough time you've had enough rock on rock on so final question um this is something that i really enjoy to learn about others because i hear some really cool kind of habits or practices but what is one thing a habit or practice you do outside of work outside of marketing outside of all the things you do day to day that just helps you when you come back to do the thing you do day to day. Oh my gosh. I think it's, um, 
I don't know. I, I have a, I'm a big fan of a routine, um, very type A routine oriented kind of girl. I, that's shocking to you probably. <laughs> um, three people listening. <laughs> um, you can hear it in my voice. Um, but I think um, it is taking time and space to sit in silence. Um, it is, I live in a big city. I live in Paris, France. It is loud and noisy and we have neighbors and I can hear my neighbors walking across their floor upstairs. And, and there's just this, this, like this five or six minutes before I allow myself to like settle into my bed and just, just sit in the silence and practice gratitude for everything that happened in my day. Um, and, feel very very content with everything that I accomplished and get and allow myself to forgive me for things that I didn't accomplish that day it's very easy to beat ourselves up over all the things that we didn't get to do especially for people like us you know who have full-time jobs and who also have side hustles of our personal brands or our podcasts and it's very very simple to be like I could have done a thousand other things today and just sit in that silence enjoy enjoy hmm. the um, and, and, you know, hold space for yourself and for, forgive. Mm, I'm a huge proponent of silence. I forgetting the name of the book by Ryan um, holiday, but he has a book just, that's all about that. And as a meditator, I find so much solace in silence and solitude. And I'm really mm. glad you pointed that out. Cause I think too many times, especially today, it has become even harder to find pockets, moments, spaces of silence of yes. nothing. Um, so I think it's, you have to be more intentional, which then makes it as always, am I going to choose the apple or the ice cream? So you have to be more intentional to build that into your routine or just your area. So I, I work on that every day and I'm glad you brought that up. I cannot meditate though. So that is hilarious that I love silence, but I, I cannot turn my brain off long enough to meditate, but hopefully I'll get there. Hopefully <laughs> maybe think, you can help. I think we all meditate in our own um, ways. I think silence is meditation at its purest, just not titled or it's not using headspace to get there. So I think, I think thank you're you. doing it. But <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Trish, so much for this conversation. This was amazing to see not only the marketing uh, kind of expertise that you have, but more just the genuine and incredible human uh, that I got to witness throughout this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. And this is the end of the podcast. Thank you for making it to the end. It means the world to me that you watch or you listen to this episode and hopefully you're walking away with new insights to improve how you think about marketing and life and help you make progress on what matters to you. But one thing before you go, if you could subscribe wherever you're listening to this or watching, that would really help out both you getting the episodes right when they come out and raising this podcast in the ranking. So hopefully more people like you can listen to this. And if there's anything that I can do to make this podcast more beneficial for you, if it's somebody you think I should interview, if you're the person, please comment, please email me. It's in the show notes so we can just continually deliver more value to you, the listener. Again, thank you for watching and have a great rest of your day, evening, week, and hope to see you here next time.